Welcome to uh, this week's episode of Simply Connected with Data Projections. Uh, my name is Chris Mitchell, and I am here with Sandy Hill. And uh, <laughs> Sandy is, uh, you know, uh, my uh, uh, crime-fighting partner here with Data Projections. And uh, I am excited because Sandy took the interview uh, role this week, and uh, she found somebody that is just uh, ha- is exciting and. Uh, you know, energetic and all kinds of stuff. Uh, Sandy, do you want to introduce who you're you're interviewing? Sure. So the funny thing about this is you did a podcast with Chris Renfro from Polly a while back. And actually, it's Chris who introduced me to Dr. Lance Ford. So um, Dr. Lance Ford has a long history in education. He actually um, had some time and did some work with Cisco I think kind of similar to the relation he what he does with Zoom now, but he is just um, he's another amazing educator, and I would say kind of finding solutions that he feels are very valuable to the classroom. He also does and teaches at um, a college in his town. He's from Oklahoma, so yeah, he's great, and I hope you guys enjoy listening to him, and you will feel the energy through his voice. I can guarantee you that. I am excited. Uh, We'll talk to you guys after. Okay, guys. Today, we have a really interesting and new podcast. About three weeks ago, I was introduced to a guy named Lance Ford. And Lance is going to tell you a little bit about himself, but I have found that he has similar acquaintances in the industry that I do that from years back and a lot of accolades from those people that have known him over the years. So we're going to start with introducing Lance. Lance, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, Sandy. Well, first, thanks for letting me do this and have the conversation. Um, I love learning from people. So I guess first and foremost, I'm a learner teacher, teacher learner. I've been a teacher for 29 years of my life. Um, I am actually officed in a public school in rural Southeast Oklahoma. I teach online for our regional college. And then for Zoom, I my title is Zoom Room Educator, which literally means that I get to work with educators who are exploring Zoom and different technologies in their classroom, as well as those who have maybe acquired some things and they need a little assistance in uh, making sure that it really ties into what they do. I've been teaching via video, um, live synchronous video for almost 19 years. So I've seen a lot of technology, Sandy, come and go. So the pandemic was no deal for you because you've been doing that for a while. You know, I don't know that this is necessarily appropriate for a podcast, but I kind of felt John the Baptist-y during the pandemic. I was like, I've been saying prepare you the way for a long time here. Not necessarily from a pandemic perspective, but just flexible options for learners and teachers to be able to learn wherever they are. Right. Which is truly in a lot of ways some of it we organically do and we don't even realize it right now I have to say just from your what you do right now all the schools you work for the college and you're a zoom room expert when do you have time to eat and sleep (laughs) so fortunately I don't have as much time to eat as I used to which means I've lost about 85 pounds in the last 14 months oh wow my father-in-law used to say I had it to lose right um (laughs) So absolutely, I I love this because while it sounds like a lot, basically it excites me. So it seems like time passes really quickly. I I love to learn new things. That is my passion. 
And then not just learn those things, but help other people with that knowledge, be able to achieve the things they want to do. And so that really, really helps my days just fly by. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. Okay, so when we were discussing what we were going to talk about today, I asked you, like, what is your favorite thing to talk about? And you said that um, you wanted to focus on what impacting, what does impacting learners mean to you? Yeah. And that just kind of was, I need some, I need some guidance here. Give me some, give me some information. So when we talk about learners, I mean, for so many years as we examine education, it's been a matter of, you come when the bell rings, you sit in my class. Now at the higher end level, it's you come when the class is scheduled Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or whatever. When you sit yourself down, then I'm going to expound the knowledge to you. You're going to take notes on that knowledge and be able to regurgitate that knowledge back to me as a part of the assessment process. And I'll be able to tell how well you were able to do that by your overall score on a measured outcome. That's the definition of education for a lot of people. But for me, and I guess just so you know my background, my undergrad and my master's degrees are both in music. So I've been a music teacher for a long time. My PhD is in educational administration and curriculum, which was an interesting transition for me because the things I know about music and the way that I get kids to engage with that really in some places were diametrically opposed to that all t-shirt sizes are one and they fit everyone mindset of administration to, you know, how can this be done more creatively? So to that end, um, I'm really all about individualizing the learning process. Now, for those of you who have been at a remote environment for any part of the pandemic, which is probably all of us, uh, especially in teaching and learning, it became very difficult to do that at scale because in the state of Oklahoma, you know, max load for public school teachers is 140. So if we talk about trying to individualize learning for 140 different folks who have varying qualities of internet access, who have varying learner styles and ways they engage with content, and we can't really all the time see the nonverbals, which are so important in our communication, so like today, you're listening to a podcast, right? Um, you're not seeing all my hand motions, which mean absolutely <laughs> nothing, but they at least make me feel good about it. And it makes, you, it makes Sandy smile. So I'm taking that feedback and I'm using that to propel myself forward in this conversation. So individualizing was really difficult uh, during this process. And um, for those of folks who felt like they did it well, the one thing I hear a lot about is video communications where they were and allowing people to experience their learners and from a learner perspective, the teachers experience their lives, become more um, relatable, real to the folks they engaged with. And I think when we do that, then that's our first step towards individualizing the learning, becoming real to the learner and the teacher becoming real um, as a part of this. Does that make sense? Yes, very much. It's like lots of information. I'm, I'm jotting down just kind of notes and thoughts about that. So a um, couple of things in relation when you talk about individualized learning, and I, you know, my, my degree is in education, I taught and was in a district for a long time. 
And that's one of the things that fascinated me the most is when I was in that classroom with those kids and you've got 20, you know, little eighth grade, eight year olds that are, they all have every varying walk of life and learning style. I mean, all of those things. So individualization, what rubric, what, what template do you use for that? Like, how do you even start background knowledge? I mean, all the things that come that put together a kid or an, a, an adult in college too, right? Like it's, we all grow and learn what they used to call it, the spiral of learning. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, you're asking me personally, I start with the outcome and work my way backwards. Um, because when you start with the outcome and know where you want them to be, and you start to work your way backwards to the individual level, you start to probe into certain students' interests or lack thereof on where they need to be which makes it creative for you to be able to maybe cross-pollinate students with students to share their viewpoints on things. You're going to find some students are extremely passionate about certain things. And because I'm a 53-year-old male, um, some of those eight-year-olds are just not going to relate to me. But they're going to relate to the eight-year-old that's sitting next to them. And it becomes more of an opportunity for each person to excel at what they do which kind of leads us in from that individualized learning process to the differentiation process. Okay. Okay. We got to take, we got to take into account where these learners are when we get them Um, in how Oklahoma, just as a prime example, uh, 80 plus percent free and reduced uh, 80 plus percent native American. This is a Choctaw nation. Uh, So while they do have a lot of things that overlap culturally with where they are, there are a lot of haves versus have nots. Uh, We are also uniquely situated here in that in excess of 50%, some some years it's as high as 60 plus percent of our learners don't physically live inside the confines of our school boundaries. So we have kids who join us from a variety of locations, locales, and backgrounds for, for many, many reasons. And to that end, I've been very fortunate, blessed, lucky, depending on your worldview, uh, to work with leadership here who really wants to open the doors to that. Now, it inherently creates some issues, no doubt about it. But one of the neat things is the cross-pollinization of student ideas and learners learning from other learners and not all learning having to funnel through me. I know where we're trying to go. I know where we want them to get to. Sometimes that means you'll learn from me. Sometimes that means you'll learn from somewhere else. Sometimes that means you may learn from actually hands-on in a project, but some of you may prefer to actually have it more asynchronous. Um, Even in summer school, like right now, my wife has 10 or 12 kids who are all in different classes at the same time in the same room working on classes. Um, And she, as a library media specialist, has a research background to be able to not know deep on a lot of subjects, but know background on many subjects and use that passion to kind of get them where they need to be as well. So it's really neat how it manifests itself all the way from those eight-year-olds to those high school kids. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, So... Two things I want to talk about. I'm going to interrupt you for a bit sure, and I want, you, on, I want your opinion about it. So one thing that fascinated me, probably I had friends, I guess, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, start homeschooling. Yeah. And um, I really was like trying to, obviously there's reasons that they do that. Sometimes it's religious reasons. Sometimes it's, you know, for whatever reason, they, they homeschool their kids. And I did do a lot of um 
I would say like digging into their the way they did school and the way we did school and how students, you know, in a homeschool setting, I mean, yes, the parent has to be the end all be all um, to the most extent back then, especially now we've got a lot yeah. more resources at our fingertips. But um, and it came down to a discussion about socialization to me because I, you know, whether we're wasting time because we all have to go to the bathroom at the same time because we're in second grade or we're wasting time because we're walking across, a, you know, a high school campus. At the end of the day, those interactions were extremely important. And I know research wise, they are especially in young kids. But, you know, even knowing now my twin, you know, they're in eighth grade this year. And when they went through the pandemic, I mean, I, we all, and we all did as parents laughed when your kids were like, I want to go back to school. I'm sick of being at home with you. Like, I can't do this anymore. So, you know, back when I was teaching before the internet and all the things, I love to do that. First of all, deductive reasoning. I'd love to give the kids kind of the end, what we're looking at and say, let's deduce what we already know and then let's fill in the gaps. The other thing was, you know, you'd have some kids in a class and that were brilliant and they could, you know, they knew the stuff before you taught them and just a giving them something to challenge them, but having using them to help other kids. And that's exactly what you're talking about. I mean, you're exactly right. Um, and whatever to me, the most important part is the motivation of a single child. Wanting every child to want to learn and know how important information is and valuable it is to them and however it gets them there. Um, the other thing, unless you have a discussion about that. No, no, I was just, I'll let me follow up on that and expand it for a minute. The, the, the great part about what you said is that basically, we're learning in community from each other. Unfortunately, what I think happens sometimes in the classroom is certain people's knowledge base is valued less than other people's knowledge base. And consequently, they see themselves as, I'll use an old school word, no one that's listening to this, please take offense. They see themselves as dumb compared to the smart people in the room. And it has nothing to do with them being dumb or smart. It has to do with the valuation of the knowledge they bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Many times they will bring a knowledge base that is way outside what we have all predefined as the canon for acceptable outcomes in assessment. What we need to be exploring is how do we bring what they know into that canon and allow them to spin that diamond of knowledge to a way where the light refracts and hits them where they are, and we scaffold that knowledge to where we need to go. That, that's, that, that's my two cents on it. No, and I love that. You know, okay, so one thing you said when we were very first talking is how your career, and we really didn't talk too much about your career, we can come back to that, how you got yeah. to where you are today, but was that you had aha moments. And as a teacher, if there is nothing more exciting than to see a kid go, oh, now oh. I get it. <laughs> Whatever angle we were coming at, trying to get them to grasp that knowledge and, and ingest it. Anyway, so the other thing I, I have when we talk about, you know, you being teaching on video for 19 years is the concept of flipped learning, which, yeah. you know, about, I think it was about 12 years ago, that became a concept. And the concept was based around someone teaching either at their computer or in front of a 
whiteboard and the audio. So, you know, you would make a short lesson and you, the kids would watch it at night. And then when they came back the next day, they had that base knowledge and then they could really hone in. I just read an article basically talking about, you know, the hybrid learning and, and how we need to evaluate education and the way we teach. That still is so important. I mean, you know, a bank of lessons that give kids that basic knowledge before they have to dive in deeper. And as much as, I mean, my kids watch YouTube and whatever all day long. They're constantly learning. So I'm always like, could you please look up a science lesson? Could you please look up, you know, rather than football or music? I mean, so anyway, those are my thoughts. I'm going to hush. No, now. no. So, no, no. So let's, let's camp on that for a second because my good friend, uh, John Bergman, wrote the initial with, with his friend, Aaron Sams, wrote the initial Flipping Your Classroom for ISTE, the publication. Right? Mm. And um, love John. John, if you listen to this, you're a pioneer in so many ways. He teaches at a school district now in Houston. He's a super guy. Just, just a good guy for everybody to know. Selfishly, you need to know John. Anyway, having said that, one of the things that I took away from that whole process for me kind of drives towards this individual learning process is the word respect. I feel like as a faculty member, I disrespect learners' time as well as my own, when the precious few moments that we have together physically in the same place, or like we are today, are spent with one side talking and disseminating information. That is a complete That's lack of respect for the time that you have, right? This, I, my dad died at a relatively young age, and, and I'm approaching his age now, so I guess I'm getting more philosophical as I get older, but the precious moments that we share together in a classroom need to be spent with everyone weighing in, all parties learning from each other, getting to where they need to be, and not just me standing up and pontificating and delivering information. To your point, if a seven, eight, nine, five inch screen is enough for me to get that word disseminated to them, let's get that out there so when we come together, we can have a conversation. Now, having the conversation is predicated on you having some sort of a, a commonality with the knowledge base, so we can actually have a conversation, right? Right. Um, but that's the beauty of that model. People tell me all the time, well, I just don't know how you teach video. There's just so much time wasted. I feel like blah, blah, blah. And my response to that is because my video engagements are predicated on things that they already know and have already tried, and we're maximizing our time together to our apply face -to, -face to troubleshoot. Yeah, 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 that's it. Absolutely. And one example I can remember, my daughter, my oldest daughter, was she, when she was in high school, in one of her, I guess, maybe calculus class, there was one teacher on her campus that was doing like lessons, and every kid in that school was watching those lessons, even though they had other teachers, whether it was beforehand or after. I mean, they all knew the value, and this was, again, 12 years ago-ish. Yes. Um, so anyway, it's all fascinating. It's all fascinating. Okay. I want you to, I don't And, think and real know. quick, real quick, Go. before we leave this, sometimes people will say, well, there's already so many videos on the internet. Why does, why is it a value for me as a calculus teacher to make those? Because they know you, because it's you, the relationship. This is what we're grinding back towards over and over and over. They see you in the hall. When they watch your video, then they have questions they ask you. 
That's why this is so important. Even though you may feel like you're not the best person to be on video, everybody says, oh, video adds 15 pounds. I can't stand to see myself. Okay, get over it. It's you, right? Because you need the relationship with those local learners. That's what this is all about. That's and that's a why very good watching point. that instructor and not, I love Khan Academy, but not just some generic video at Khan Academy. It's because they know you as the person. Mm -hmm, Sorry. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Okay. We need to talk about two other things about learning. So you yes, mentioned in our discussion, learning is no respecter of time and location and learning is applied knowledge. Yes. Talk to me. So we kind of hinted at this with the flipped learning process that learning is no respecter of time or location. Uh, you said it best a few minutes ago when you said, my son is constantly watching YouTube music videos and um, uh, sports videos. Okay, super. That is the clear definition of learning is not confined to 9 to 9.50, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for you college instructors, or block schedule for you high school instructors, or 9 to 9.50 in a second grade math class five days a week, right? Learning happens when people go to apply the knowledge and they're struggling with that. They've got to get from what they don't know to where they need to go and that's when learning happens now my wife and i have long had this conversation about the start time for high school okay a 16 year old rolling in here at 8 a.m and going through a high school english class is about as pointless as we putting my dog <laughs> in the english class at any time of the day their brain is not awake they have been up till 2 a.m. playing video games or on chat, Snapchat, or whatever they're doing. We have got to respect the fact that time is boundless for the knowledge transfer process. Now, what does that mean? Not just theoretically, but in real world terms, that means we've got to provide them multiple options for when they learn. And we've got to meet them where they are, when they are, not when we want them to be. Now, every teacher who's listening to this right now means, is saying, so Dr. Ford, you basically are implying that I need to be available on call 24-7, 365, whenever somebody's ready to learn. That is not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is don't feel like a failure when your eight o'clock English class is not getting through to the majority of your high school juniors. Their brains are not there, okay? That's right, so that's right. If you're, if you're confined to that and you're the high school junior English teacher who's having to do this at eight o'clock in the morning, start thinking of ways that you could push that content out later tonight or study groups or project-based learning that allows them to work beyond the confines of the class and bring those ideas in because when they bring their ideas in at 8 a.m as opposed to your ideas at 8 a.m then they're more likely to engage okay right? that's yeah that is brilliant oh. yeah that is absolutely you know we all like to hear ourselves talk well maybe not ex but people love to be asked questions <laughs> that's not true because when you start doing a podcast and you hear your voice you're like oh sounds terrible but one of the, you know, as a friend, I love to ask people questions about how they are. I mean, people need to express themselves. That's why Facebook and Twitter and everything got so big because people wanted to tell everybody about their lives. Um, That's right. 
So I agree with you, though. I mean, if if you can get them to come with even a, a nugget, <laughs> it's going to it's going to piece some more together than it is when, you know, they're coming in sleepy with nothing and having to listen to you. It's monitor. Yeah, you're exactly right. Exactly. And, and that, that folds into this last bullet that you asked me about, which is the application of knowledge, right? Because when that bullet is applied to an experience that they've had or a part of their schema, and I, I love to use my superintendent at, at this level because um, he's a very unique individual. He came through the vocational training system in public school. He, was, he would not be what he would have classified as a, as a great student. He's a former paint and body guy, okay? Uh, he has a passion for antique vehicles, both really sharp as well as roached out is what he would call them, okay? <laughs> And so from, from his perspective, when he's working with students and teaching them, he's using the math concepts, he's using the writing concepts, he's using the communication skills, but it's things that he's passionate about. Like the fading of orange to black on the way you do that with an airbrush on the side of a vehicle. Now that doesn't speak to everyone and that's fine. But for some people, the mathematical calculation that's necessary to figure the paint colors between black and orange and a fade and a cross dissolve and the layers at which you put and the, the grain of sandpaper that you have to use, they get turned on, uh -huh. right? So when you're, when you're having this applied knowledge I use him as an example because the way that he operates our school is very much conservative fiscally as well as conservative when it comes to just recounting ideas for the sake of ideas, facts for facts sake, knowledge for knowledge sake. Um, and that has freed me as an instructor here, as a person who now it's not a full-time instructor. I work for Zoom, but I get to be here on campus and help with some projects. It really frees me to be able to reach and engage the learner, to kind of probe what makes them tick and make that connection with them for them. Um, I, I know y'all can't see this because it's an audio podcast, but Sandy, you can see this. I'm going to hold this up. Um, it's a thank you card. And I'm not yep. going to open it because from one of my students, um, one of my students who is severely learning challenged, uh, and on the, he's, he's on the, on the spectrum. Okay. And, um, inside here, one of the things he says, what well, is thank you for believing in me and reaching me where I am. That in a nutshell, that's wow, why right. I do what I do, right? Everyone can learn. Everyone has potential. And yes, if you're listening to this, and you're like, yeah, everybody, but listen, everybody makes mistakes. And so my mantra with kids is it's never too late to do the right thing. It's never Same too late with, mm -hmm. to do the Same right with thing. adults. Exactly. So don't beat yourself up, man. Yeah, you screwed up on that. You didn't do your homework. Yeah, you failed the class. Okay, let's draw a line in the sand. Let's figure out where we can pick up. Let's figure out what you know, where we need you to go. And let's get there through an avenue that engages you. And that really is the application, the, the manifestation of applied knowledge. Okay. I, I love that. I love that. I think as a parent, it's extremely important to teach children how to fail, let them fail before they leave to go off to college, because they'll never know how to pick themselves up if you do not. And, and sometimes I think teachers are stuck because they 
they don't want to see kids fail, that that's a, that's a little bit of an oxymoron to them that they, you know, can have that attitude. But yes, they can have that attitude. The, the trick is making sure that your parents are aligning with you. And yes, I'm, I'm here to support you and support you and your family and all of that. Teaching is, has so many layers and um, ex, not expectations, but there's so much that they have to do. And, you know, again, if I teach elementary, I may teach 40 kids a day. If I teach high school, how many do you teach? You can teach up to 140 in, the, 140 in the state of Oklahoma. Um, I, and one of the most spring things anybody ever told me, Sandy, I had a boss, um, several bosses back. We said, Lance, we want you to experiment. We want you to try stuff. We want you to give things a shot. We know that means you're going to fail a lot. And that's okay. Learn from those failures, get yourself back up and apply the failure to your next attempt. What did you learn from that failure? Well, we learned that this and this and this will not work. Okay, so dust it off. Don't try that again, because the definition of insanity is applying the same thing over right. and over and expecting a different outcome. Different right? outcome. Yes, I love that. I love that. It's not going to happen. So apply it, make a note of it, take a note of it, and then try something else that makes you feel like you're accomplishing something. And I was so freed by that because it, it became okay to fail. And to your point, teachers have a lot of pressures on them. Um, and many times, unfortunately, administrators will reach to them and say, 30% of your class is on the, on the fail list, right? What are you doing wrong? Well, they're not doing anything wrong, necessarily. They're trying to get them to learn from a procedural process where the outcome is bigger than the momentary failure. Oh, exactly. Exactly. That's, yes, there's, there's lots of little crevices in that in that process that make it make it difficult okay so dr ford i think i'm gonna have to ask you can we do another podcast because i think we've probably maxed our time for today sure and i think the next thing i want to talk to you about i want to hear more about is your how you infuse technology into that environment and what are your tricks and of the trade in that area i'd so, love to have a conversation sandy Okay. Okay. Well, it has been great having you on today. I very much appreciate it and um, look forward to more conversations. Sounds good, man. Okay. Uh, you are dead on. He <laughs> is a wealth of knowledge. Yes. He has some very, very valuable experience. And I think he also is such a collaborator. I think he's just. Um, he's just seen a lot and he has developed a really great vision for education. Well, and, and maybe this is just me and, and my past and who I am personally a little bit, but, but man, the guy has a way with words. And, and, and I say that because, you know, you, you all were talking about, you know, some uh, of how each kid is maybe what they bring to the classroom. Right. And whether that's, you know, physically in the classroom or, or virtually, you know, with a, with a little square on the screen, right? And he was talking about their knowledge base that these kids have. And, and you know, he was like, you know, not to say that a kid brings more knowledge base than that kid's smart and the other one has a different knowledge base and that kid's dumb by no stretch of the imagination. And this is, this is the wording that he said, which just blows me away. Many times they will bring a knowledge base that is way outside of what we 
have all predefined as a canon for acceptable outcomes and assessment. So what we needed to be exploring is how do we bring what they know into that canon and allow them to spin that diamond of knowledge to wait for the light to reflect uh, on them where they are and then scaffold that knowledge to where we want to go. Okay. I mean, holy cow. And I promise that you, right he was not there, reading from a book. That, right. <laughs> and that's, that, that sentence and a half. And like, I, I grabbed that from the, the audio transcript of, of the, your interview with him. Like he said that I stopped, went back and grabbed that because I'm like, first of all, that, that's beautifully said, you know, right. the, the diamond of knowledge to wait for the light as it reflects upon them and, and scaffold that knowledge to where we want to go. Like that's unreal. But, but the fact is meeting these kids where they are. And being able to do that in a new way through virtual learning, um, uh, not because you have to do virtual learning, but because it's effective. And I was impressed mm -hmm. by that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. I mean, he, um, you know, when I first met him, the whole reason we got to st start talking was basically around kind of Zoom and Zoom rooms and stuff like that. And then I thought, you know, I just kept uncovering more and more about him. And I was like, I have to have you on the podcast because you are so amazing. But as you can see, we've done one. And about the point at the end of this one, I mean, we hadn't even really touched on a lot of the things that I really wanted him to touch on, which is how do you infuse technology into this? What what are your go-tos for that? What is it that brings those students out? And um, so anyway, just a little um, kind of a tidbit, we're gonna do another one with Dr. Ford and just expand a little bit more on his knowledge in another podcast. Well. That excites me, and and you know, hopefully, I'll find some nugget of, you know, uh, grammatical beauty um, to uh, <laughs> to grab onto. We'll see. So, well, thank you guys for joining us with this week's uh, episode of Simply Connected, and uh, we'll check you next time. Make sure you uh, like, subscribe, and share. We'll talk to you guys later.